The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Tuesday was a quiet to lower day across the board with some general bearishness being seen pretty much across grains, livestock, and the outside markets as well. Thanks for joining us here today. Welcome to Market Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to be here as always as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. We have plenty to discuss here today as it seemed that kind of the upward momentum that we'd been having in the grain market since the calendar flipped to March, that kind of stopped on Tuesday. Some outside market fears seemingly kind of played in and caused some general bearishness in the market. All of this is well ahead of the March World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimate report out on Wednesday morning. We're going to talk markets. Brian Split, agmarket.net. He joins us in the hot seat coming up here in segment two and three. And I'll be curious to get Brian's thoughts. We talked last week on the show about some of the downturn in the soy complex to round out February. And then since then, we've come back here, albeit a, a rougher day on Tuesday. We're going to talk, though, with Brian about his thoughts, just how things have changed and not changed in a week's time and look ahead to the WASD report out on Wednesday as well. We also have some other headlines in agriculture to take a look at. The USTR uh, going for formal consultations with Mexico regarding the Mexican decree about uh, banning GMO corn. We're going to have thoughts on that here coming up on the show today. We're also going to get uh, thoughts and comments out of the National Farmers Union Convention out in California. That story and uh, much more coming up here on today's Market Talk. First up, though, let's get comments with Arlen Suderman of Stone X. And uh, Arlen and I talked about just the general tone of the markets, grains, livestock, and the broader financial sector as Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell speaking Tuesday before the Senate Banking Committee and those comments being watched closely as it appears the Fed might have to uh, tame inflation a little bit more with higher interest rates. And I asked Arlen first off just about a general bearishness in the market on the day Tuesday. Here's what he said. It really is, and it goes back to uh, Jerome Powell, who's chairman of the Federal Reserve's testimony before the Senate Banking Committee this morning. That's really dominated the markets, uh, dominated the sentiment in the markets. So what we've seen based on his comments is we've seen a dollar surge higher, sharply higher today, as uh, Treasury yields uh, go higher as well. In fact, two-year Treasuries trading at their highest level since 2007, June of 2007 to be precise. So we're seeing general pressure on the commodities. It's probably uh, more surprising that wheat is actually up right now in Chicago and Kansas City markets than it is that anything else is down. Crude oil's down more than 3% at this hour. 
after failing uh, to hold above the 100-day moving average, which has been a continue a problem of it as late um, corn and soybeans as well. The only exception really being the wheat market, and, and in the wheat market, it's more of a case that we've come down so far already um, that we're starting to see some end users come back in and some nervous shorts starting to get covered to take profits because prices have come down already perhaps too far at this hour with so many risks to the crop with the drought in the plains and, and problems with uh, some of the Black Sea crop, etc. So um, this is a market dominated by headlines today. Well, I look over at some of the headlines you mentioned, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell and the stock market under some pressure, crude oil under some pressure too, the dollar, looking at all of this financial stuff and just this fear of inflation continuing and recession out there. Uh, one has to wonder, I know he's going to be speaking, I believe, with the House on Wednesday, just how much all of his comments and everything in this broader economy is going to play in here in the next couple of weeks and months ahead, Arlen. Oh, I, I think it's going to continue to be a factor for some time. The, the Federal Reserve has been telling the markets that we're going to have to go higher with rates and for a longer period of time than what you think. And the markets have continually acted surprised whenever he said that, not believing that they would actually do so. Well, now Jay Powell is actually saying we're going to have to go higher than we thought as well. Now, Fed Fund Futures trading at the CME Group it indicated when we started today pretty much full expectations that the Fed will go up 25 basis points when it meets in two weeks. But those expectations have now gone up to expectations of a 50 basis point rate hike. And Fed Chair Jerome Powell did say we may have to increase the pace at which we raise rates. Uh, those The target rate right now is at about 4.5%, and Wall Street's starting to adjust to the expectation that rates may peak over 6% now. So that's quite a change in the ideas of Wall Street, that increases the risk of our economy going into a deeper recession. And that's what the equity markets and the commodity markets are pricing in. In the protein sector, real quick as well, cattle and hogs uh, seem to be trading just quiet, kind of hesitant maybe here today ahead of uh, the WASDE report tomorrow and just some of this outside uh, economic fear. Any thoughts in the protein trade today? Yeah, it's probably good that Jay Powell is speaking today and not tomorrow during the crop report. Yes, he will be at the House Financial Services Committee tomorrow, but his comments tomorrow shouldn't be any real surprise for the market. So it should allow us to focus a little bit more on the fundamentals. The cattle market, though, is reflecting the losses in the stock market and the fears about recession, which would hurt demand. Uh, but overall, this week's cash trade is expected to continue to be steady to firm with tightening supplies. Um, and uh, so that it should be an underlying factor uh, as we look at the bulk of last week's trade, basically at 165 with a smaller volume at 166 and even a smaller volume at 167 in, in Iowa. We also have a winter weather event in the northern part of the belt that will be affecting feedlots in Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, and South Dakota. That's providing support underneath this market, but the headline risks are creating some headwinds for this market uh, with Jay Powell testifying before the Senate. And once again, that is comments at Market Analysis with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Talk to him for our midday commentary on Tuesday as we saw the uh, trade unfolding. We're going to talk more markets here in a minute with Brian Split of agmarket.net. 
I mentioned uh, at the top of the show, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office on Monday requesting technical consultations with the government of Mexico under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. The consultations as part of the USMCA sanitary and phytosanitary measures chapter are aimed at Mexico's ban on genetically modified corn. Trade Representative Catherine Tai says, quote, Mexico's policies threaten to disrupt billions of dollars in agricultural trade, and they will stifle the innovation that is necessary to tackle the climate crisis and food security challenges if left unaddressed, end quote. Now, the U.S. government's intention is that through the consultation process, USTR could reach an outcome that respects each country's sovereignty and benefits the United States, Mexico, and U.S. agricultural producers and stakeholders as well. NCGA applauding the efforts of the USTR. NCGA President Tom Hanks says Mexico's position on biotech corn is already creating uncertainty, so we need U.S. officials to move swiftly and do everything it takes to eliminate this trade barrier, end quote. And if the uh, technical consultations can't get something done, then they can uh, U.S. can initiate a dispute settlement under USMCA. We'll have comments from Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack on this matter as well coming up here later in the show. Up next, though, we're going to talk markets more in-depth with Brian Split of agmarket.net. We'll be back with more market talk on the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we look at Tuesday's trade action, pretty bearish day across the commodity trade throughout grains, livestock. Chicago KC wheat held in there okay, uh, but overall just a, a lot of bearishness, a lot of uneasiness, it feels like, in the trade. Here to walk us through what he saw and discuss it, we welcome in once again this week our good friend Brian Split with agmarket.net joining us. Brian, great to catch up with you again, sir. I hope you're having a good week here uh, so far. Yeah, Jesse, uh, so far so good. We'll be in Orlando later in the week for the Classic. Um, so looking forward to seeing you down there. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you as well. And uh, looking forward to seeing a lot of growers uh, down at Commodity Classic. I know that's always a, a fun event. A lot of folks uh, take advantage of that as kind of a, a vacation of sorts. And so, uh, and also just a lot of information to be learned there too. So looking forward to uh, the next couple of days in Orlando. Before we get there, though, as I alluded to, these markets, just kind of a bearish attitude on the day. Fed Chair Jerome Powell speaking before the Senate Banking Committee. That seemed to be one of the big headline items that drove the entire trade on the day. I know the dollar surged higher. You mentioned to me a big drop in silver before we jumped on air. So it just feels like a lot of this uneasiness with recession, inflation, and this outside broader market feel really kind of weighed into commodities on the day on Tuesday, Brian. Right. Um, so with Chairman Powell's comments essentially saying that uh, interest rates are likely to go higher um, than they originally thought they were going to need to go and uh, maybe at a faster pace. So, um, you know, there's different things that price in the probability of a 25 basis point hike for the next meeting or a 50 basis point hike. So, I think after the commentary, I was reading that uh, they, they think it's about a 70% uh, likelihood that we'll see a 50, 50 basis point hike on the next uh, um, announcement. Um, so more of a risk off uh, attitude because of that, uh, whether it's equity trade, um, gold and silver. Uh, so prior to starting the recording, silver was down about a dollar an ounce. Uh, anytime silver moves a dollar in a day, that's a pretty big day. And uh, we did see some kind of mixed trade in the grains. 
uh, beans, uh, the um, the market that pulled back really the most, but was up the most yesterday. Uh, meal corrected today after making some new contract highs last night. Uh, we actually had wheat finish positive, not uh, aggressively, but I do think there's quite a bit of short uh, wheat paper that's tied to bean length. Um, and so with the beans pulling back today after a big run yesterday, uh, wheat was down hard yesterday with beans up. So I think we saw a little position squaring there. And then corn just kind of stuck here for the short term. Um, I will say I, I do like where the March corn made lows last week. It was at uh, 623 and a half. Um, that's while in delivery. The December contract made lows while in delivery uh, at the beginning of December at 623. So effectively, we've found value while in delivery at the same spot. Uh, so hopefully we could see the May contract do what March did after the Dece contract expired. Uh, and that was a move back up towards 680. Uh, so we'll have a report tomorrow that'll go through domestic balance sheets, uh, revise the global production numbers and uh, see where we go from there. I like your thoughts of how you think some of this wheat papers tied to beans here. It, it makes sense to me just the way the markets have acted the last couple of sessions. You know, we came into, we flipped the calendar to March. We had some good money flow into that soy complex, but wheat, not so much. Uh, but then seeing that kind of that reversal today, I, what do you see? Can you expand on just your thoughts with how you think some of that is is tied together here? Is there anything chart related you're seeing that indicates that? Is it just some things you, you've heard in the trade when it comes to the funds and some of their activity? What are you seeing, Brian? Yeah, so if you kind of go back a year ago, um, it was buy everything, right? Buy <laughs> corn, buy bean oil, uh, buy wheat, buy corn. And um, it was the same for energies, right? Let's buy crude oil, let's buy heating oil, Arbob, natural gas. Um, and so now here we are a year after the invasion and it doesn't seem like the fund manager wants to own everything. If they're gonna buy one thing, they're gonna sell something else against it. And uh, so recently, when you think about what crop has seen a continued weather story, uh, which is continuing to uh, decrease production estimates, that's the soybean market, especially because of the conditions in Argentina. Um, and then when you think about a market that has generally seen an improving uh, condition for some of the recent uh, rains that have come through uh, and some of the hard red growing regions, and, and granted, yes, the, the uh, crop conditions are, are pretty poor. Uh, so that's something that we're going to be mindful of as we you know, start to really come out of dormancy here. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the fund manager is, is in that mindset where if we're going to come in and buy beans today, we're selling something else against it. Um, and so, you know, Jim McCormick, you know, Jim, uh, we kind of joke day to day. It's like, geez, if we just knew which one to buy and which one to sell on a day to day basis, you could do really well. Uh, and that's just how it's been trading actually for the last couple months where one day you get beans up and corn and wheat down and, and vice versa. Well, and that's, a, a, you know, a great thing you mentioned there, you know, just seeing how it trades and, and you know, wondering if you could figure it out, you'd be in a good spot. But, you know, I think for for a lot of farmers, they just see it and they see the, these moves, you know, and this volatility and, and whatnot. And it sometimes maybe has them frustrated, but it, it is what it is. It's the market. Uh, thinking ahead to Wednesday's WASDI report, you, you brought up Argentina. I, and I know as well you brought up the wheat conditions coming out of dormancy. 
What do you expect on that WASDE report for March outside of, uh, you know, the Argentine numbers for sure? I, I know we're going to see a cut. Do you see anything else that you're really worried about as we look at that report or anything you're watching from USDA, Brian? Uh, well, I think one thing the trade is still looking for is a revision uh, lower for corn for export. Uh, and that would just be simply because of the pace analysis that we've got. Uh, but I think the USDA needs to be careful in doing that um, if they're going to continue to reduce the, the South American production numbers. Um, so we've got uh, a uh, Argentine crop that is still experiencing uh, hot and dry conditions. Uh, we had that frost a couple weeks ago. And so with that, um, I, I just I feel like if we're going to keep seeing that Argentine crop get smaller, uh, that that just leads uh, us to probably seeing more business come out of uh, of the U.S. for any world buying of corn that needs to be done. Uh, now, whether the trade is right or not and, and China needs to come in and buy corn, who the heck knows? It's China. I frankly don't think they need to buy what they've been buying the last couple of years. And that's part of the problem with the balance sheets and the way they started is the USDA was still looking for China to come in and and buy, uh, you know, at a somewhat aggressive pace and, and surely more aggressive than they were buying pre-African uh, swine fever right before they changed mm -hmm. their feed rations. Uh, so they probably overshot Chinese corn demand. Uh, but regardless, as we see Argentine crops continue to decrease in size, that just places a higher likelihood that we're going to see uh, corn exports kick in. Uh, so I think USDA has got to be careful about really relying strictly on pace analysis. Um, and then we've got the Safrina uh, corn crop in Brazil. And, um, you know, the later that that goes in, that just pushes the key pollination time frame into a period where they are more likely to have a hotter and drier bias. So uh, as of right now, um, I don't know that the USDA is going to make any revisions for Brazil's corn. Uh, Argentine corn and Argentine soybeans, absolutely. Uh, although they won't come down to where the private estimates are. I mean, we've heard this mm -hmm. week. Uh, private estimates for beans of 25 million tons and you know, USDA is still at 41. So they'll probably come in somewhere in the mid thirties if I had to guess, but they're not going to come in at, you know, 25 to 30. Uh, and, and I don't think the size of the crop is going to be that either. I think we're overdoing our, our downside estimates right now on, on Argentine beans, but time will tell. Time will tell on corn, just looking at where things, you know, settled up Tuesday, thinking about corn and the balance sheets and the export side that you mentioned. I know you and I have talked before and I've talked with the team about your recommended percentages to be sold on, especially new crop. I mean, should farmers be thinking about some of those things, making some moves ahead of the report, putting some defense in, protecting that risk? Or is this a is this a moment to maybe just hold tight and see what the report has to say, Brian? Yeah, I'm never going to be the guy to tell a producer not to, uh, you know, protect risk if that's something that they feel that they should be doing. Um, my job at that point would be to just try to help them find the most efficient way to do that. Uh, my own personal bias is that uh, with what we've seen happen over the last couple of weeks in corn, um, how we continue to trade quite a bit like 2013, um, I think we could actually uh, maybe solidify the lows that were made last week. Um, and, and start to try to bounce going into the end of the month and into the planning intentions report. Um, now, if we got that bounce, and let's just call it maybe around March 20th to 25th, somewhere in that time frame, uh, then I would be uh, much more aggressive in trying to layer in some, some coverage ahead of that uh, planning intention data, especially for corn.
That's Brian Split of AgMarket.net. We'll continue with him coming up after this. Back with more Market Talk right after the break. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation today with Brian Split of agmarket.net joining us here on Market Talk. Brian, uh, just overall to kind of wrap up our, our grain discussion here and just the broader picture, I, I know crude oil uh, has been just a little bit, you know, all over the place on Tuesday. It was kind of looking like it was down 2 to 3% here as we're talking right now. That's obviously an influence on this market uh, as, a, as a whole. How much are you watching crude still and how it is weighing on grains and oil seeds, Brian? Yeah, I mean, energy values are, are uh, extremely important to the overall commodity outlook, uh, especially when you look at uh, the correlation uh, with corn, corn for ethanol, just general energy consumption, uh, then you look at some of these long-term correlation studies for bean oil and crude oil, um, especially as we get more into the renewable diesel uh, atmosphere. So uh, the price of energy is extremely important in the big picture for, for grains. Um, I'm concerned that uh, this uh, crude oil chart has what appears to be a potential head and shoulder pattern forming. Um, if it validates, uh, that would project down to about $63 a barrel. Um, I've talked, you know, we, we do our, our Wednesday technical videos every week and, um, over the last couple of months, uh, you know, as people try to ask, you know, what might be a, a good equilibrium price for crude oil, uh, seems to be, you know, in that $65 barrel area. So I wouldn't be surprised if we eventually work our way down there. Um, I, I think you, you're going to continue to have some support, uh, around 70, just because the administration has said, Hey, we're going to be refilling the strategic petroleum reserves at 70 and below. Uh, so if we do see uh, more of an economic downturn, um, that might provide some support under the energy's big picture. But uh, I think also the administration, I would hope, is smart enough to uh, maybe pause, uh, pause their buying if they do see more of a prolonged downturn in, in values and, and maybe try to be a little bit more patient. Uh, so just like you know, an end user for corn, you could say all you want, hey, if corn gets to 650, I want to come in and buy it. But with the speed that we came off those highs, uh, a lot of those end users that wanted to buy 650 as it got close said, hey, this is coming down pretty fast. I'm just going to hold off a little bit and see if we don't go down a little bit more. And I think the administration could do that if we see uh, more of a, a bigger picture uh, break in commodity values. Great thoughts. Uh, give us uh, some insight into the livestock trade on Tuesday here, Brian. Cattle, just relatively mixed, quiet. I, I'd say overall just really didn't do a whole lot. The feeder cattle market, I know it started the week, screamed higher, and then we just kind of just treaded water, it felt like, on the day. And hogs were mostly lower, too, outside of the front month. I wonder if a lot of that was probably tied to just the broader uh, economic picture and some of that bearishness in the overall trade on the day. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like a broken record when I talk about cattle. I mean, it's the same story. <laughs> Everybody knows the fundamental picture is friendly. Uh, we've seen good gains. Uh, all I can really continue to tell the cattle producer is that options are very cheap. Um, options are trading at 8 to 9% volatility. So if you want to be bullish and, and look for the market to continue to go higher, uh, that's great. Puts are not a bad thing to own in the meantime, especially as we're going through all of this uncertainty about the economy and, uh, and if interest rates are going to have to move up faster than what the Fed thought they were going to be and to higher uh, eventual target rates than what they were originally planning. Uh, I think that is probably the, the biggest risk for cattle uh, mm -hmm. is, is just the perception of what type of demand we're going to see for beef uh, if the economy softens further. Um, so feeder cattle, um, geez, you have some of these fall contracts trading a 220 plus. Um, so I think we're probably due for a correction. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see things back off a little bit, uh, looking at lean hogs. Yeah. I mean, this April contract should continue to find good support in the 83 to 84 area we did today. Um, but I was a little more hopeful that, uh, we'd see this April contract bridge the gap between where it is and where some of the summer month values are. Uh, and maybe today was the start of that with, with the aggressive bull spreading that we saw. So I have to imagine, I haven't looked at it on a chart, but I, I would imagine like an April, June or an April, July spread uh, probably put in some pretty significant lows and, and made a major reversal here this week. Yeah, I would have to say so as well. Just the strength in that front month April contract uh, was really, really felt impressive on the day Tuesday. And to your point, if we see any softening of uh, demand with the economy, especially on the beef side, I mean, you know, there's one thing, Brian, to think that, okay, if you want a steak, people are going to go get that steak if they want it. But at the same time, too, you know, instead of getting say a, a ribeye or a sirloin or filet mignon maybe they're getting a new york strip if if money's tighter so i, I think to your point it's going to be interesting to see just how this whole economic picture weighs in i think that if there's anything that could weigh you know aid us in a correction in this cattle market that seems to be so bullish it could be some of that retail economic demand and concern there if we do have some of that come through brian you're, you're right. I mean, um, I love beef. I, I would eat it almost every day if I could. And my doctor tells me not to, but uh, I tell you what, I mean, when times are good uh, and we're grilling, uh, I'm going to the counter, I'm buying prime ribeyes, I'm buying prime, you know, strips, uh, buying some fillets for the wife because that's what she likes. Uh, but when we're lean, well, I'm going to go to the carniceria and I'm going to buy flank steak and, and it's marinated flank steak and, and I'm, we're having carne asada instead. And that's delicious also. Um, and so I, I think that's, to your point, you, you could see some of the consumer behaviors change um, and, and it's going to become a, a, you know, a demand for different cuts. Definitely. Very, very true. Before we wrap it up here today, sir, I always appreciate the time and insight. And I'll, I'll leave you with the uh, final, your favorite question. I'll just leave it kind of open for you here. Anything else you want to mention or uh, reiterate for folks as they're taking a look at the uh, markets here as we work through the week? Yeah, I would just say, you know, recently we saw that Ag Outlook Forum and it, it kind of threw people for a loop, the reaction that we had, because generally the trade doesn't react as aggressively to that data set. Um, but I, I think it just really opened some eyes that if we get 91 or more million acres of corn, 
and we have a good yield, our balance sheet's going to change rather dramatically just in one growing season. And if we end up with a good Safrina corn crop, uh, that is going to compete with our, our exports uh, sooner than we would like. And so um, I think you have to, as a producer, just be mindful of uh, the fact that this is going to be the most expensive crop we've ever planted. Uh, and if, if the balance sheet changes dramatically, we're going to see the fund manager uh, instead of trying to buy everything and be long corn and be long beans, we're going to go back to a 2013 scenario where they're probably going short at some point in the growing season. Uh, and they're going to be pressing the producer uh, below cost of production levels, knowing that the producer's on the ropes. Um, and so it's going to be a weather market, you know, that it is every year. Uh, but I think you have to be vigilant this year and make sure you have some kind of coverage, uh, even if it's just owning puts. Uh, but I, I think if you look back at, at history and go a decade ago, 2023 corn is trading a lot like 2013 corn. High so far for the year is the first trading day of the year. We were at 590 right at the beginning of February, just like 2013. And in 2013, we were making lows at 410 come fall. Um, and so if you just play that out and what that would mean for your operation, um, it might light a fire under your butt to, to be a little bit more aggressive look at history to hopefully uh, influence some future decisions and not repeat any mistakes that may have been made. Brian, always uh, great to catch up with you. If producers have questions, I know they can reach out to you, the team there at agmarket.net very easily, can't they? Yes. General line is 844-4-AG-MARKET. So 844-424-6758. Uh, reach us at uh, our, the website's www.agmarket.net. And my direct line is 815-665-0463. Always great to chat, buddy, and we will see you this week in Orlando, Florida for Commodity Classic. Thanks for joining us today. All right. See you in a couple of days, Jesse. Appreciate it. Always good to catch up with him. Brian Split of agmarket.net joining us here today on Market Talk. And as we were mentioning, uh, again, we will uh, both be a Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida here this week. I'll be there starting uh, Wednesday Thursday, Friday, we'll be on tap here for uh, Commodity Classic. Thursday and Friday, by the way, we're going to be broadcasting Market Talk live with the National Corn Growers Association. We'll be located in their booth on the showroom floor. Got a lot of great topics we're going to be talking about uh, with NCGA on top of uh, talking about the markets, of course, as well. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Going to be an excellent discussion for a couple of days talking with the team at the National Corn Growers Association and looking forward to it. So definitely make sure you can stop by and see us. We'll be in booth 1603 okay that's where we'll be 1603 from 3 to 4 p.m eastern doing market talk live on thursday and friday few of the closing numbers on the day tuesday corn for may down two and three quarters 634 and a quarter december corn three lower 567 may beans 13 and a half lower 1515 and a half november beans were down five and three quarters 1373 and a half bean meal for may down 560 a ton, 487.80. May bean oil down 179 points, 58.66. May Chicago wheat two and three quarters higher, 698. May Kansas City wheat up one and a half, 799 at a quarter. May spring wheat down 10, 852 and three quarters. Live cattle April down 12, 
165.97. June down 45, 160.55. Feeder cattle March five higher, 192.12. April up seven, 198.67. April hogs up 132, 84.80. May hogs down 10, 92.95. And hogs for June down 55, 100.07 on the day on Tuesday. So again, mostly bearish across the trade Tuesday, Wednesday with the March WASD report. Going to be very interesting to watch and see how the markets react. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at some news headlines here before we wrap up the show today. We'll be back with more market talk on the way right after this. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks to Brian Split of AgMarket.net for joining us here on today's program. Always appreciate his time and insight into the market trade. Let's get caught up on some news headlines before we run out of time today. Top issues for the National Farmers Union focus on fairness for farmers. NFU President Rob LaRue during the organization's annual convention this week in San Francisco, California, explains more. It's hard to talk about any of the issues confronting agriculture. Now, talking about the Farmers Union's Fairness for Farmers campaign, a campaign that is really trying to lift up and show folks exactly what the kind of the monopolization of agriculture is facing. This is everything from right to repair to making sure that we have better cattle markets to make sure that farmers are getting fair prices, that there's truth in labeling. Part of this, of course, is also with an eye toward the next farm bill. The good news is, LaRue says, many in Washington, D.C. are listening. The nice thing about these issues is that when you explain them, they're easily understood. And everything from consumers to Republicans and Democrats understand the, the challenges here. And so we do think that there are real opportunities to make some progress. That all comes as LaRue says NFU membership is increasing. I think our message is getting out there, right? When you speak truth to a lot of these challenges that family farmers and ranchers are facing these days and just all of the pressure against them, trying to do the right thing, trying to make agriculture much more fair for everyone. No guarantees, of course, for anybody, but at least a fair shake. That's what everybody wants. And so I think that message that Farmers Union delivers out there consistently and the progress that we're making is getting some attraction. Once again, that's National Farmers Union President Rob LaRue. Well, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack is pleased with USTR's request for technical consultations with Mexico. Speaking at the National Farmers Union annual convention in San Francisco this week, Vilsack says the dispute over GMO corn imports is just one of the topics the trading partners need to work out. There have been a variety of decrees that have come from Mexico. I think the underlying issue here is the need for our relationship with Mexico to be and a trade relationship to be science-based, whether it's corn or whether it's soybeans or whether it's cotton or whatever it is. If you are creating a concern about the safety or the effectiveness of a particular technology based on culture, that's an issue that undermines the whole trading process. Vilsack says the process is all about working out the differences between the two sides. I think the point of this is that we've started a consultation. The point of it is that we want to make sure that there is an exchange of information in the hopes that we ultimately get to a better place than we are today. And if not, we'll just continue the process, which is why the USMCA was an improvement over NAFTA, because it creates this process. While Mexico has changed its governmental decrees on GMO imports in recent months, Vilsack says an earlier decree even included GMO soybeans and cotton. They changed the decree a bit, and I know that at one point in time it involved soybeans and cotton, and I don't think that the revised decree speaks to cotton and soybeans, but in the interest of caution, I suppose, we want to make sure that there's a clear understanding of what their position is. That's why you have the consultation. 
Now, he also says the U.S. remains hopeful that America's concerns can be fully addressed. If not, the U.S. will continue to pursue all necessary steps to enforce our rights under the USMCA to make sure America's producers and exporters have full and fair access to the Mexican market. Well, the Pork Industry Forum is March 8th through the 10th. It's an opportunity for producers alongside National Pork Board and the National Pork Producers Council to come together to address obstacles and present opportunities for the coming year. NPB President Heather Hill is encouraging producers to voice their opinions about the industry. If you aren't certain how your checkoff dollars are being spent or what's being done on behalf of you, get involved and, you know, be a delegate and, you know, we have open CD in the back, so even if you're not a delegate and you want to come to forum, that opportunity exists. Hill said last year's Pork Act delegates passed a reduction in the checkoff rate from $0.40 cents to $0.35 cents per $100 of value. She shares how the industry has responded. You're never excited for a budget decrease, but I feel like we have worked even harder as a board um, along with our amazing staff to be even that much more efficient with the dollars we do have and to make sure that we're still being very judicious with the checkoff dollars we have and working on the priorities that are so important for our industry. With a lot happening on the farm and at the Pork Forum, Hill appreciates all the dedication to the industry. I know firsthand the sacrifice that many and all of our delegates are making to be at Forum and to take that time to be there um, for, you know, it's a couple days they, they need to be there. And so we try to make sure that we have a good mix of education as well as fellowship and entertainment to make sure that it is a truly impactful experience for all that attend. Visit porkindustryforum.com for an overview of the event schedules and details about award winners and candidates. With the 2023 planting season fast approaching, farmers need to remember that training is required annually for everyone planning to apply low-volatility dicamba formulations. Bayer Soy Traits Marketing Manager Brandy Cullen shares Bayer's efforts to get everyone trained for the season. We launched a flexible, easy-to-use online dicamba training platform on roundupreadyextend.com backslash training that offers a simple and efficient way for growers to meet the EPA training requirement needs. No matter how many states you farm in, growers can choose whether they want to go through the course at their own pace or they can do a guided webinar that happens every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. Also, there are multiple training options as well to fit a grower or applicator's busy schedule. So the self-guided course typically takes about an hour and growers need only a strong internet connection and an updated browser. We recommend Chrome, Firefox, or Safari. It's available 24 hours, seven days a week. And once you click begin the course, you have 24 hours to complete it. You do not have to complete it all at once. You just simply register for the course and then you can take it within that 24 hours. Another option is Bayer provides guided online webinars every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central Time. These live webinars are conducted by Bayer subject matter experts and scientists, and they allow a more interactive instruction. Pre-registration is required for these guided online webinars. Cullen says that Bayer has simplified the training for growers that farm in multiple states. The training program is designed so that growers and applicators can complete their required training for more than one state at a time. You select the states for which you are applying the product, and the program will adjust to include requirements specific to those states. Once you have completed the program, you will receive a printable certificate for proof of training, and it will include each state that you selected. 
And growers can learn more again online, roundupreadyextend.com. That is going to do it for Market Talk here today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be broadcasting live in Orlando, Florida at the 2023 Commodity Classic. If you're going to be there, we hope to see you. That's going to do it for Market Talk today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, wishing you a great rest of your day. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.